Hi, and welcome to Quest, a vineyard church where we strive to live life as friends with faith through knowing God, loving others, and making a difference. If you're new, there will be information at the end of this podcast to help you plug in at Quest both in person and online. Now, let's dive into this week's teaching. Wrapping up this series, Trending, Non-Trending, and today we're going to talk in, uh, uh, with a conversation about the flood. This great narrative that we read in, in Genesis chapters 6 through 9. So if you have your Bibles, go ahead and open them up. We're going to be focused in there for the most uh, for most of the, the morning. And um, this is one of those stories that I, I think that, that we know so well with all of its parts and pieces that it loses a lot of its freshness for us. Let's just be honest, right? It, it's lost its place in our current current worldview and framework. Um, I mean, how often do you get up in the morning and as you're planning your day, you know, brushing your teeth, combing your hair, tying your tie, uh, applying your mascara, some of you, um, thinking about, you know, how you're going to get through your day, how often then does a thought about Noah pop up into your mind? You know, um, I mean, Probably not very often for many of us, right? Um, but here's the thing. I promise you that by the end of this sermon, uh, you will be more likely to consider Noah as you are planning your day. It's a promise, okay? And I want you to hold me to it. I'm serious. So next Sunday, uh, when you come in, let me know if I was right or wrong about you thinking about Noah during your day, Okay. Now, if you don't, that doesn't mean you get to punch me or anything like that, but just let me know, okay? For me, uh, Noah, though, is, is a lot more prevalent in my day-to-day life, and, and uh, he's a bit of a legend. Uh, he's, um, he's big. See, not too long ago, my son asked me to download a game onto my phone uh, so he could play it. And I really didn't know anything about it. Uh, it was... It was um, you know, just this thing, and I knew that he would like it, and so I obliged him, downloaded it, and and he can play it. The one problem, though, with this game is that it it, it requires um, a, a lot of interaction with it. it. It's it's fairly involved, and Lofton isn't with me all the time when I'm at work, and so I found myself on my own hunting for Pikachu's all over Columbus. <laughs> True. Yeah, yes, the game is Pokemon Go, and a few weeks ago, this is, this is a true story, I was at Oktoberfest with a friend, just two grown men walking all over the fairgrounds trying to hit every Pokestop so that we could collect Pokeballs, and uh, we were moving as far as we could so that we could hatch our eggs. What? Oh, man. <laughs> This game, it takes over your life. It really does. And then, and then, and then there's Noah, right? He's the Pokemon master. Gotta catch them all. Did it twice. <laughs> Guy's a legend. That's all I'm saying, right? Yeah. <laughs> it's funny. Well, let me, let me pray for us before we uh, dig into this text, okay? Well, God, uh, we are so thankful to be here worshiping you, Lord, we pray that as we read your story for us, the things that you did, how you worked, how you involved yourself in the life of your creation, Lord, I pray that we would be transformed. Holy Spirit, come and speak to us. Reveal your truth to us. Reveal how much you love to us. 
Let us be made into your likeness today as we learn more about you. We pray these things in the name of Jesus. Amen. Well, as I said before, I, I think the story of Noah, it's, it's important for believers. But I realize that, that many of us don't think about it very often. And I was surprised um, when the Answers in Genesis people finished construction of their ark down in Kentucky. How many of you visited it? couple of you. No one. Okay. You should go. Um, I, I was surprised because uh, it seemed like something that's so out of step with our culture, right? And, and I'm glad that, that there's someone out there saying, hey, let's not forget about this story. You know, it's, it's important uh, as one of the guideposts for our faith. And it is. It's an important story. But, but I've heard some very common rhetoric about, you know, things like the flood where people you know, they want to dismiss the story because they don't know how to engage with it, right? And, and very important questions come up because of the, the Noah story, like how do we understand a God of love that would destroy all of the earth and its inhabitants in this way? It's a question you may want to ask in a minute. It's okay if you do. Um, uh, I'm not sure, because Ross will answer it. That's why it's okay if you do. Um, I'm, not, I'm, not, I'm not sure, though, that uh, all of us will be satisfied with many of the answers that we conclude with, uh, but that's not a reason to dismiss this story. Now, I want you to watch a clip real quickly uh, from an interview with Bill O'Reilly um, and Bill Maher. Uh, the full content of this interview really isn't important, uh, but there's this sound bite. There's this sound bite that I fear is a pervasive way of thinking about Christianity in the Bible. Here, watch this and, and listen to what I'm talking about. But you say on a, on a couple of shows that I saw, that a lot of Americans are too stupid, they just don't understand what's going on, and therefore they make fallacious decisions. Do you feel comfortable saying, look, you American people, most of you are dunderheads, and you just don't understand? And I do. You do feel comfortable? Yes, I with do. That? Okay. I absolutely, absolutely. Sixty <laughs> percent of, of the American people, Bill, believe the Noah's Ark story is literally true. Okay. Well, I don't know any of those three. I don't know how to... Def- you know, I think they found Noah's Ark on some mountain anybody? in Turkey. Didn't they find it up there? But, but that's in your Bible. I mean, if you're a religious person and the Bible is written by God, why isn't why is stuff in the Bible untrue? Well, because I mean, it's allegorical, Bill. Story, I'm sure you know. Your, it, I'm sure you know it's, it's in, allegorical, and these well, are parables, and they're designed I, to to, oh, to really? teach you a greater truth that it apparently has eluded you. But you well, know, it's well, not okay. a literalist well, what, interpretation what, what of the Bible. The, I thought it was the word of God. I thought it was literal, and a lot of religious people do. Okay, what about the part in the Bible that says if you see your neighbor working on a Sunday, you should kill him? Is that a parable or is that literal? I, I think that's probably uh, what I, I don't know that parable. Can you? Is that Romans, Ecclesiastes? Where did that come? It's from? not a parable. No, no, it's a, it's in Deuteronomy. It's a law. It's a law. If you see your neighbor working on Sunday, you should kill you him. You got to kill yes. him. It doesn't sound like a parable okay. to me. But if it's your perfect holy book written by God, why is there stuff in it that makes no sense? Well, let me break or this is to immoral? you. Let me break this to you. I respect the Bible, and I and I take it as an allegorical book. But I'm a Christian, so the New Testament is what. Uh, I believe in, and the Old Testament, <laughs> written by it. prophets. Sorry, I just have to shake my head at that one, shrug a little bit. I mean, he, here's the pervasive thinking that's problematic. As a Christian, we don't have to worry about what's in the Old Testament because we're New Testament people of the New Covenant, right? You know, that's what that's what Bill O'Reilly is saying, that, that, that Jesus is the love part of the Bible or some variation of it. I personally find this incredibly offensive. 
I, I really do. Yes. Come on. Um, because it's very uninformed. If you think this way, and I'm not trying, I'm not trying to chastise you this morning, but I want to encourage you to see that the full canon of scripture is important for us as believers in Jesus Christ. There, 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 there are challenging passages that we have to acknowledge exist. And, and we have to try and sort them out, which, by the way, I think would be a great series for us to do at Quest sometime, right? Um, you know, to spend a couple of weeks talking about the hard sayings of the Bible. Have we done that before? I don't think we have. He doesn't know either. Okay, so we'll do it again. Um, he said kind of, actually. All right. Well, if, if you're interested in something like that, I also want you to go uh, to online and go to quest.org. Um, forward slash ask and uh, recommend that we deal with some of those teachings. And if, if there's one or two in particular that you would like to explore, include those references and, and we'll think about doing that. It would be a really fun series. I'd love to do it. Um, of course, all of the really challenging passages that you come up with, I'm going to give to Ross. Uh, so I'm going to deal with the fun stuff. I mean, a little bit of a digression. I, I, back to my point. What, what I hope to accomplish today it is to, to help us understand that all of the Bible is important and, and it speaks into our lives as Christians. All of it. Every part of it. The Bible is one of the primary ways that God communicates to his people. 66 books about God and how he has worked in the lives of his followers and his creation. All about his character and, and what's important to him. This text... All of it is so full of life, so full of truth, so full of God. And I hope that, that none of us would ever want to dismiss any part of it. So come along with me today. This is, this is going to be a little bit of a challenging message, but it's going to be fun. So come along, join with me as we look into the story about a man who was alone on the earth in his righteousness. The only righteous man that existed at the time, Noah. Okay, we're going to talk about this today. So, so um we're not going to read all of the three chapters that deal with the flood in Noah's story. It's a lot of text. So I'm going to in, instead summarize what's happening and then pull out some of the key verses that help illuminate what God is doing in his creation. And the story begins in Genesis chapter 6, verse 9, with these words. These are the generations of Noah. It's a good way to start a story. Um, now, there's a preamble, though, that begins in chapter 6, verse 1, that explains the full state of brokenness that man was in. I mean, this is the brokenness that, that began back in the Garden of Eden with the fall of Adam and Eve. This story really goes back that far. It's a brokenness that was passed on from generation to generation as, as, as humanity multiplied. The world had descended into this full state of chaos, chaos marked by violence, man against man, man killing man. And maybe you could think of it this way. Um, the first instance of murder that we see in Scripture is what? Cain killing Abel. You know, those are the sons of Adam and Eve. And Cain uh, had children after he killed Abel. And those children had children. And then violence persisted and populated the earth. It spread. And so with all of this violence and chaos, this broken order, God comes to Noah and says, I have determined, I have determined to make an end of all flesh, for the earth is filled with violence through them. Behold, I will destroy them with the earth. 
And the Lord continues to speak to Noah and gives him this, these very intricate details of how to build this ark. This boat which will ultimately serve as salvation for humanity and all of the animal kingdom. Build it and fill it, God says to Noah. And Noah does. He's faithful to do what God has told him. In the face of, I'm pretty sure, countless doubters who must have thought that Noah was crazy to do such a thing, to build something so big after all, this deluge that was coming, that it was going to consume the earth, this wasn't a regular occurrence. It never happened before. And so why would anyone need to build such a large boat? This is how big it was, okay? Um, This is a structure that would be twice the size of a 747 and over half the size of the Titanic. I mean, this thing is big, okay? Huge. It it had to be um, so that it could house all of the Pokemon that are out there. I'm just kidding. I mean animals. It's supposed to house animals. Um, So Noah builds it, and then in Genesis chapter 7, we read about this cataclysmic event. Verse chapter, uh, chapter 7, verse 1. Then the Lord said to Noah, Go into the ark, you and all of your household, for I have seen that you are righteous before me in this generation. Verse 6. Noah was 600 years old when the flood waters came upon the earth. And Noah and his sons and his wife and his sons' wives with him went into the ark to escape the waters of the flood. Skip down to verse 17. The flood continued 40 days on the earth. The waters increased and bore up the ark and it rose high above the earth. The waters prevailed and increased greatly on the earth. And, and the ark floated on the face of the waters. And the waters prevailed so mightily on the earth that all of the high mountains under the whole heaven were covered. The waters prevailed above the mountains, covering them 15 cubits deep. I have no idea how deep that is, but it's covered. Verse 21. And all flesh died that moved on the earth. Birds, livestock, beasts, all swarming creatures that swarm on the earth and all mankind. Everything on the dry land in whose nostrils was the breath of life died. He blotted out every living thing that was on the face of the ground, man and animals and creeping things and birds of heavens. They were blotted out from the earth. Only Noah was left and those who were with him in the ark. And the waters prevailed on the earth 150 days. Everything on the earth is gone. Chapter 8, verse 1. But God remembered Noah and all of the beasts and all the livestock that were with him in the ark. And God made a wind blow over the earth and the waters subsided. Now, I want you to remember that piece right there. God made a wind blow over the earth and the waters subsided. Verse 2, the fountains of the deep and the windows of the heavens were closed. The rain from the heavens was was restrained. The waters receded from the earth continually. And then after this... Uh, you're probably familiar with the moment when Noah sends out the birds to test to see there's dry ground, right? Um, and then when the dove finally doesn't return, he knows it's time to open the ark. And then we read this account, verse 15 and following of chapter 8. And then God said to Noah, Go out from the ark, you and your wife, and your sons and your sons' wives with you. Bring out with you every living thing that is with you, all the flesh birds and animals and every creeping thing that creeps on the earth and they may swarm on the earth and be fruitful and multiply. So Noah went out and his sons and his wife and his sons' wives with him. Every beast, 
every creeping thing and every bird, everything that moves on the earth went out by families from the ark. And then Noah built an altar to the Lord. He took some of every clean animal and some of every clean bird and offered burnt offerings on the altar. And when the Lord smelled the pleasing aroma, the Lord said in his heart, I will never again curse the ground because of man. For the intention of man's heart is evil from his youth. Neither will I ever strike down every, every living creature as I have done. While the earth remains, seed time and harvest, cold and heat, summer and winter, day and night shall not cease. Chapter 9 verse 1 goes on. And then God blessed Noah and his sons and said to them, Be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth. The fear of you and the dread of you shall be upon every beast of the earth and upon every bird of the heavens, upon everything that creeps on the ground and all the fish of the sea. Into your hand they are delivered. Every moving thing that lives shall be food for you. As I, give, as I gave you the green plants, I give you everything. Now I want to stop here just for a moment. This particular verse, it, it should remind you of something else. Do you know where else this comes from? Genesis. Yeah, it's from Genesis. Genesis 1, verse 28. The creation of everything that exists, God says to man, be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth and subdue it and have dominion over the fish of the sea and over the birds of the heavens and over every living thing that moves on the earth. And God said, behold, I have given you every plant yielding seed that is on the face of the earth and every tree with seed in its fruit. You shall have them for food. And then he goes on. And so we see God is blessing Noah in the same way that he blessed Adam and Eve before the fall with one chance. One big change that's really significant. Man gets meat. Thank you, God, for barbecue. Right? (laughs) Often often when I think of the story of Noah, and I imagine uh, what Noah must have been thinking when God first came to him and to tell him to prepare for this catastrophic event... Because of how I think, um, I imagine Noah must have been wondering if, if like, this, is this the end of everything, God? What's going on? And, and, and if he asked God that, I wonder if God's resp- response would have been, no, no, Noah. It's just the beginning. This is the start of it all. See, see last week, Ross uh, taught on the origin stories, but I think that he left one of them out. The story of the flood has layers and layers and layers of meanings, things that are incredibly important for us to remember. For instance, God goes on to promise Noah that he would never flood the earth again like he did to new covenant, right? Um, that, that's to be remembered every time that Noah sees a rainbow. And, and we, should, we should also recognize the authority of God over his creation. Many, many things that come from this story, but the entire of the story, all of it, it follows the same outline as the origin story of creation. There's chaos in God's creation, and God wants to restore order. There's water that covers the entire surface of the planet, and the land emerges as the waters recede, and the water recedes as the wind blows over the waters. Uh, the waters. Do you remember what I said from chapter 8? 
The word wind in Hebrew is ruah. This is the same word for spirit that hovers over the waters that we read about in Genesis 1 verse 2. And the spirit of God, that is wind or ruah, the spirit of God was hovering over the face of the waters. You could almost say that Genesis 8 verse 1b reads, And God made the spirit blow over the earth and the waters subsided. I mean, you can't say that, but it's almost like you could. I just, just want to point that out. So, so the, dark, um, the dry land appears. Then from out of the ark emerge all of the things that will fill the land. Humans, wild beasts, Pikachus filling it up everywhere. Joke is dead. Okay. Um, And the story nears its end with this blessing. The same blessing that God makes to man at the end of Genesis 1. I mean, are you not as excited about this as I am? I mean, this is so cool. Listen to this. And, and, and what does the Lord do on the seventh day? Remember what he does on the seventh day in, in creation story? He rests. On the seventh day, the, uh, the, the day of the Lord, it, it's when he rests. And his rest was the first thing in all of the world at the time that God calls holy. Nothing else in creation has been called holy. And he says it's set apart. The Sabbath, the rest is set apart. Genesis 2, 3, go and read it. Now, now bear with me for a minute. But when, when Noah was a child and his father Lamech was naming him, we read about this account in Genesis five twenty nine. This is what it says. Lamech called his name Noah, saying, Out of the ground that the Lord has cursed, this one shall bring us relief. Bring us relief from our work and from the pitiful, painful toil of our hands. The name Noah in Hebrew means rest. The translation of his name means rest and relief. When, when Adam and Eve sinned, they were cursed by God to work the soil. In Genesis 3.17, this is what we read. Cursed is the ground because of you. In pain you shall eat of it all the days of your life. Thorns and thistles it shall bring forth for you. And you shall eat the plants of the field. By the sweat of your face you shall eat bread till you return to the ground. There was no rest. No rest for mankind after the fall. No relief. Nothing holy or set apart for man until Noah, until rest came and was found to be the only righteous man on the face of the earth. Now this, this is why this is important. The Sabbath day, the day that the Lord rested, it it doesn't mean that... God kicked up his feet in the air and napped under a shady tree. You know, we, we don't have a picture of, of him lounging in the world's largest Eno hammock. <laughs> that would be cool. Um, rest in the context of Sabbath is not only about taking a break from work, but it's also about knowing that things are in order. That chaos is gone. Order is complete, and therefore work can cease. Work is about creating order. It's about balance and health and sustainability. And the story of Noah is about restoring order to a chaotic and out-of-control world so that the curse of working our hands until they bleed can be broken. I mean, I, I read this story, and I feel so light I feel so free because I know that my God wants my life to be about peace and shalom. 
rest and fulfillment, blessing, and, and, and then to make sure that I, that, that we can experience order, peace, and rest, God chose to recreate His creation, to reestablish order in the midst of all of this chaos. Noah means rest. Jesus tells anyone who would desire to be His follower to come to Him, right? Anyone who's weary and heavy laden, anyone whose life is in chaos and disorder, and He will give them what? rest. He says he will take the burden away from us and replace it with ceasing, with rest, with order. So the next time you look in the mirror and you let your mind wander to all of the things that you have to get done, to all of the things that are in disarray, that are stressful, and I know that list is long, think about Noah. Think about rest. Think about how God wants to bring you into a life that is filled with ordered things. Things that fit and and make sense. Uh, That's his desire for you. That's his desire for us. Peace, not chaos. Life and blessing, not destruction and violence. He's given us dominion over things of this world so that we can create the same kind of order that he has already created for us. And when things fit, then we can relax. We can take a deep breath and we can know that we are living under the blessing of God. We're about to break so that we can answer any questions that you may have sent in during this message. But before we do, I want you to hear this. An important detail from the Noah story that that we can take away is that tomorrow, before The work week starts as we go through those normal muscle memory movements that we do almost every day that we've done for years and years, like brushing our teeth, unless you're from Kentucky, I suppose. My wife. (laughs) But as you do those (laughs) as you do those things... And your mind wanders to think about all of the things that you need to do during the week. All of the work, all of the reorganization, all of the fixing that you do every day. Sitting in front of your calendar and planning out your week as you sit in stress about the things you can't fix in your life. Know this. This is important. Your desire to create order among all of the chaotic pieces of your life at work or at home for this nation, whatever it is. That desire is in you because you were made in the image of God. God has always been about creating order from chaos, restoring peace to his creation. And when you desire the same thing, you are reflecting the mind and heart of God. That's pretty cool, right? And as you look into that mirror and you can remember that God used a man whose name means rest to bring back order into this chaotic world. And when you bring order to your chaotic world, what you're doing is you're ushering in the righteousness of God to it as well. When you create peace and harmony in those places that are broken and unfinished, you are doing the work of God. And that is worship. That's holy. That is godly. Amen. Amen. We're going to break for questions. I'm going to invite Ross to come on up here, and uh, we're going to see if we can answer some of your questions about the flood. Did we get any? 
I'll, I'll, I'll change the Kentucky comment real quickly. Um, let me say it this way. Uh, if, you know, you're going through those muscle memory moments that you do every day that you've been doing for years and years, um, you know, like brushing your teeth, maybe not so much if you're from Arkansas. How about that? Okay. Um, it's the only other state that I really want to knock. Okay. Um, I, I, yeah, I'm, I'd love to take that one. Okay, so um, let's see. How do we respond? Let me, I'm just trying to read it. Uh, okay, how do we respond to people who think the flood is not literal? I, so I struggle with um, someone who says the flood is not literal. Um, and I, I'll expand this question to maybe even say uh, I struggle with people who say it's not a worldwide flood, it's a local flood. Uh, I struggle with that because if it wasn't literal, then um, how in the world did God take something that was chaotic and reorder it. Like, it, it needs to be literal. It, this, is, this is how God is demonstrating for us what the world should be like and how it should exist. And, and so, to me, it's, that's a hard... It really is. It is difficult to, to try and talk about this text without understanding um, the flood to be a real event that happened. Um, and if it's a local flood, then uh, what, I, what I mean by that, it's not, it didn't cover, the water didn't cover the whole earth. Well, then, then what really was God doing? You know, because he's going to allow some other parts of the world to exist in chaos while he's just going to uh, fix, you know, this one section of, of the earth. I don't know. It, I, I do struggle with that. I think that's problematic. Um, it may not be a good way to respond to someone. That's just how I think about it. So. I am, in my brain, uh, actually putting forth theories that explain a lot of things uh, for what we find in fossil record around the Earth. Did you have another question you saw? Uh, no, I didn't. I By the way, 15 cubes, it's just 23 feet somebody thank texted you. in. So thank you. For good. Somebody, thank yeah. you for using your phone to look at that. I'm assuming you looked it up, or, or maybe you're just really brilliant and you knew that off the top of your head. Um, Thank you, by the way, for sending in some of the uh, questions that deal with difficult sayings. We will uh, start looking at those um, in the future. And, and if you do have uh, more uh, 
difficult sayings of the Bible that you might want us to include in a future series, please submit them to this this way. We'll keep getting them. I uh, appreciate that. So it's live all week long, so you can submit a question anytime you've got one. So, yeah, I have to, uh, the most of the other questions I'm seeing are, are questions that might be better for um, one of those other series. Yeah. So, if Noah is literal, how do you explain his age? That actually goes back to some of the scientific theory and that computer modeling, too. The idea, the Bible talks about the idea that there may not have been rain prior to that event, Noah, that the atmosphere was different, that the uh, the plants were, uh, there's a text that almost gives the indication that the plants were actually uh, uh, watered from dew or from groundwater. And um, and the, the theory is around that, that because the atmosphere was different, we didn't have the ozone problems, we didn't have the skin cancer problems, we didn't have a lot of the health problems that we have today that have shortened our life. And uh, so there's even some scientific medical theory around that uh, idea as well that uh, goes for the old age of people. Again, that's, that's uh, one way to look at it, and it's a reasonable way to consider as a, as a, as a hypothesis. So, Okay, so here's the question. How do I best explain the flood and God's heart in this story to my young children who are still in a very literal stage of development because... You know, we can, I get, I assume that the, the thought process there is we, we like the animals two by two, but that's not the whole story, right? How do we talk about this realistically? You want to tackle what's that your, one? What's your answer? <laughs> <laughs> Actually, I tried to get my wife to come up and, uh, and answer that one because I tend to be too blunt <laughs> with kids. And then she goes, I can't believe you told him that. Um, but, you know, the reality is I think, I think maybe we can bring it back to a, a, an obedience thing at times. I mean, the reality of our relationship with God is obedience is required. And we can maybe talk to our kids about the fact that, okay, honey, have we ever abandoned you even when you've been disobedient? How many times have you been disobedient to us? Have we ever abandoned you? God's the same way towards you. But there also is... And this is where I don't know where to go with the kids. There also is the reality of judgment. We can't have love without judgment. We can't have truth without judgment. We can't have, at some point, there is a judgment that God does. But we can paint an amazing picture of God's grace through this whole story, even leading up to it. He creates creation, and immediately they stop, start murdering each other and killing each other and doing all sorts of stuff. And what does God do? He's patient for hundreds, if not thousands of years. 1,600. 1,600. So we can always talk about that side of the story with them. We can always talk about the relational side of, story, of the story with our kids. And it's tough to avoid some of the harder stuff, isn't it? Yeah, I think I think that's a great way to address that. You know, to talk about the patience of God, but the the necessity of obedience, and and the fact that um, if we're not obedient, there is a judgment. Uh, but I also love discussing you know the heart of God for His creation um, in its totality, and so I think it's a great opportunity for us to to talk more in depth about the character of God and, and, you know, letting our children understand that. It's a great way. By the way, thank you so much for submitting uh, other responses about future um, series. Uh, we'll, we'll look through those and, and 
um, and see what we can do. There's some really good stuff in here. Um, so I'm excited to get into another series about some of that stuff. I, I do want to um, address one question. Uh, it says, does it seem that we are given rest by being delivered from the water of judgment? In other words, a correlation between the flood, the exodus, and baptism. I, I really like this question. Um, I don't necessarily have a precise answer for it, uh, but it is something that I would like to explore. And I would say that it certainly does seem uh, to indicate something along those lines, that the, the, the flood waters. Of, um, of the Noah story do represent, you know, like when we are immersed in a baptismal uh, font or whatever you want to call it, in our case, a hot tub, um, sometimes a cold tub. Uh, but uh, like there's this idea that like into death, uh, we are brought back into life in Christ. It's, it's very similar imagery and I, I think it's beautiful. And so I think, I think there is something to that. Uh, absolutely. So uh, there's a question. Uh, isn't it true that the laws laid out throughout Deuteronomy and Leviticus don't apply to us as Christians because those laws were made for those outside of relationship with Jesus? And that law comes up uh, partially because of the Bill Maher um, quote of the uh, killing the neighbor on the Sabbath. And, and that's probably for another series in the future. But, but Jeremy's focal point here of God wanting to bring rest the Sabbath and the rest is a really big issue throughout the Bible. If we're unwilling to rest, it typically means we're unwilling to trust God and his provision. There is a rebelliousness or an independence of not trusting God when we are not, don't allow ourselves to rest and you, if you look at the whole teaching of Sabbath in the Bible, it is one of the Ten Commandments. It's one of the biggies. Because that kind of order in our life really does speak to something about our relationship with God. Do we trust Him or do we not? And if we don't, then we keep working and we keep striving and we rebel. we're rebelling against we, God. We idolize something other than God. Yeah. And, uh, and, and so it's an interesting thing that, that uh, Bill Maher asks, and, uh, and it, this is one of those that I don't think there's a really, um, you know, wonderful, you know, uh, response to have because the, the truth is, is that what, what God is saying to the people is that if someone is rebelling against me, the, res, the result is what? It's death. And um, I think... Quite frankly, we see the very same kind of commandment to anyone who now doesn't choose to follow Jesus in full surrender. If we don't choose to follow Jesus in full surrender, what is uh, the outcome? Death. And, and so I, I, it is a hard thing to, to understand. It is a hard thing to teach, and it certainly is a really um, dramatic statement. Uh, but I, I think the, the point of it is... Who are you going to honor? Who are you going to um, allow to be authority in your life? Who will you worship? Will it be God or anything else? Because sin does bring death to our relationships. It brings death to our identity. It causes depression because we think about life wrongly. Uh, it causes divorce. It can cause violence. Sin brings death across the board. And just to finish the quick comment on the Deuteronomy and Leviticus, the, the, there's two aspects in Deuteronomy and Leviticus. There's moral law and there's um, 
sorry, now I'm spacing it. There's like cleanliness laws and ritual laws. And Jesus in his sacrifice did away with a lot of those cleanliness and ritual laws because he fulfilled that and we no longer have to offer animal sacrifices or grain offerings or things of that nature. But we still are to follow the moral laws of the Old Testament. Even with Jesus, Jesus showed us how to live those well for us. And he is the best example of how to live those well for us. Yeah, and I think he gives one of the best responses to that question as well. And he says that I have come not to what? Abolish the law, but rather to fulfill it. And, um, and it's, it's this fulfillment of it. And so do we disregard and get rid of those things? Absolutely not. We, we look to um, how Jesus lived and we fulfill those things in the same way when we follow him. It seems like naps are blessed. There's one of the latest one that comes in, and yes, they are. So how could Noah be so old? Is there scientific evidence for the flood? And, and, and uh, yes, uh, there are some really good scientific theories out there about the flood. You know, one of the, one of the major things that the people say is how could the whole earth be covered with water? Well, uh, even non-Christians believe that there's likely the possibility that the earth at one point had what's called Panagia. All the continents were together. There's actually one scientist I saw years ago. I couldn't find the information on him, so I can't quote him directly for you. But I saw him do a computer modeling of what would happen if those continents, through a, a major plate tectonics event, would have separated over the course of the span of time that Noah's story goes over, so that those continents separated during that time frame. And his computer modeling of what would happen actually showed that that could create an entire Earth flood by the continents moving those thousands of miles that quickly over that time span. So there's actually some really interesting, credible scientific models to say this could indeed have happened, and it could be exactly like we talked about. And even on the age side, the age side, uh, some, of the, some of the text in the Bible before the flood talks about there not being rain before the flood and talks about a whole different type of an atmosphere. And so there's even some scientists who've, who have looked at that and said, well, uh, there really wasn't the ozone problems we have now, so there wasn't a lot of the diseases which would allow for older, or older lives as well. But then there's also a theological answer. God talks at one point saying, I, I, I do not want to strive with humankind for hundreds and hundreds of years, and he was limiting the life. And, and if you really understand the way that talks about in the text, it's almost this merciful thing. And I've and, and got to be honest, the older I get, I, I've, I've always asked this question from a young age, and maybe I'm weird, but I've always asked the question, how do you age well? How do you finish well? And I've had a lot of conversations with older people about that topic. And, and here's what I, what I experienced myself, and here's what I experienced from many of them. One of the difficulties, the main difficulty of aging well is the fact that we have now so much experience of pain and the damaging effects of sin that it becomes harder and harder as you grow to stay hopeful. That's the battle we face as we get older. How do we stay hopeful? How do we stay believing God can do a lot when we've accumulated and we've seen so many things and some things that have not changed like we would hope they would change in life. And so in one sense, God limiting our lifespan is, is a mercy thing for us as well to say, I, I know that burden's too heavy to carry. So we're just going to, we're going to shorten this thing 
in a sense. And there, there's there's a, a sense that the Bible teaches that as well. Yeah. Anything uh, else? Other questions? Are you going to wrap? Yeah, let me, let me wrap it up this way. Okay. So we've talked a little bit about sin and uh, the results of sin. And we know that sin entered the world through Adam and Eve. Uh, we know that sin led to chaos, destruction, uh, violence, and death. It's the same sin that then required this recreation story that we read from God, sin. And, and, and we know that sin then entered the world again after the flood. Sin is a powerful thing. And as we sing this last song, um, I want to remember that I want us to remember that God gave us another ark. Right? It's the ark of faith that comes from trusting in Jesus Christ. Sin, you know, brings chaos and destruction into the world and ultimately death. But if we choose to have a faith in Jesus Christ, then we are saved from those flood waters and death. We can be recreated with Christ. New creatures that, that share in an ordered world, a world that's promised for us that we can fully engage with God and all of creation for eternity. And today, if you have chosen to follow Jesus into this new life, this recreated life, then I want you to celebrate today as we sing this last song. Sing the words and, and, uh, and let, allow them be to be a worship, a glorification, a recognition of how wonderful Christ is and his sacrifice for us. But if you haven't done that, if you haven't surrendered your life to Jesus, but you want to know what it's like to be recreated, to experience a life that's ordered, that's not chaotic, that is renewed, then I want to invite you to come and pray with me. I'm going to be right down here. And we can pray that you might be able to receive that new creation, to receive uh, that surrender to Jesus. Now, I'm going to close today's message a little differently than we usually do. In fact, it's the same way that we open today. I'm going to invite you to stand with me right now. And we're going to recite the words of the Apostles' Creed. The, the creed that talks about those statements, those things that we believe about who God is and who we are because of who God is. And the words are going to be on the screen. And I just want you to, to allow them to be your affirmation of faith. And think about them through the lens of Noah and recreation. So let's say this together. I believe in God, the Father Almighty, creator of heaven and earth. I believe in Jesus Christ, his only son, our Lord who was conceived by the Holy Spirit, born of the Virgin Mary. He suffered under Pontius Pilate, was crucified, dead, and was buried. He descended to hell, and on the third day he rose again from the dead. He ascended to heaven and is seated at the right hand of God the Father Almighty. From there he will come to judge the living and the dead. I believe in the Holy Spirit the Holy Catholic Church, the communion of saints, the forgiveness of sins, the resurrection of the body, and the life everlasting. Amen. Well, let's worship. Let's worship together, church. Thank you for listening to this week's sermon audio. If you are loving Quest podcast, let us know on Facebook or Twitter by using the hashtag GoToQuest. 
For more information about Quest, who we are, and what we do, or if you would like to help support Quest financially, please visit us at gotoquest.org. That's G-O-T-O-Quest.org. 